Welcome to the Denver United Message Series, Awakening. At the beginning of each year, we set aside time for a season of prayer and fasting, dedicating this time to seeking Christ, practicing spiritual disciplines, and growing deeper in the Word. In a few moments, we'll share more information about how you can participate in Awakening. But for now, let's listen in to today's message. It is wintertime in Colorado, and with that, for me, growing up in the Northeast on skis since I can remember comes prayers for snow and ski trips. I discovered something about skiing that I didn't know until last week. This is not something that happens often with skiing. I know most of what there is to know because it's been such a part of my life. But did you know? You probably know this. I'm probably last of the party. I was shocked and amazed to learn that there is a ski resort in the middle of the desert, in the middle of Dubai, in the Middle Eastern country of United Arab Emirates. Did you know that? Unbelievable. Here the climate is like 120 degrees on the outside within this self-contained dome there is a whole ski resort with the chairlift and slopes such that you're outside. And if you're a Westerner, you're likely to be wearing shorts and a tank top and flip-flops. You step inside, close the door, and you need a parka, hat, gloves, and ski equipment. That is absolutely astounding to me, that we have the capability of creating one environment so totally opposite of another environment just outside the door. Astounding. In 1 Peter chapter 5, the Word of God records that Peter, Jesus' rock on whom he would build his church, wraps up his letter to the church with the words of salutation, greet each other with a kiss of love, and peace be with all of you who are in Christ. Seems innocuous enough, but this phrase, it finds a home in just about every New Testament book, often repeatedly, and is such a regular usage that it's almost universally understood among Bible scholars that it stands for something. It's a metaphor. It meant something particular and clear to first century believers. Our title this morning is In Christ. In Christ. We're continuing in our awakening season. Every year we start the year with a time of prayer, fasting, and consecration, putting first what we believe matters most, which is our personal relationship with Jesus. For many of us, that's deepening. For some of us, it's returning or clarifying or rearranging priorities so that we can build our life on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. This year in our awakening season, our study series is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We began by talking about how looking to draw near to God, it's possible, even easy, to draw near to a God of our own making, a God who is not there, who is made in our own image, in the image of our culture, or our aspirations, or something like that. In order to draw near to God in a meaningful way, we have to understand the God who is there. The God who is there revealed himself as eternally, coexistent triune beings, three in one. 
And to know God is to experience Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as He revealed Himself. Last week, Mari did an amazing job teaching us about the heart of God as a Father and how we approach Him. This morning, we're going to look at Jesus the Son. We look at Jesus the Son most weeks here in our Bible studies, and so in a particular way, what does it mean to be in Christ? In John chapter 15, the Bible records Jesus last week on earth before going to the cross. He got real and spoke plainly with his disciples. And in verse 4, He's recorded as saying, abide in me, or other translations read, remain in me. After I go, remain in me, and I will remain in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, it's clear that the disciples spent considerable time after Jesus returned to the Father, reflecting on his words, as indeed he instructed them to do, before going on to build the New Testament church. And I can imagine those words were chief among them. He said, remain in me, in Christ. And so out of this, it seems arose a metaphoric usage, an insider language convention of being or not being in Christ. Over and again, the New Testament authors, the apostles, use this phrase, and it seems to be understood, much like we talked about back in the fall when we did the series, The Jesus Way, how in the first century church, they referred to Christianity or evangelicalism, as we call it, or called it in the 20th century, they called it the way, right? And the Jesus way, his saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, seems to inform that. Well, I think Jesus saying, abide in me, gave birth to a convention, an understanding of living, being in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, the evangelical flag that we fly that binds us together across the disparate expressions of Jesus' ardent followers Ephesians 2.8, God saved you by grace through faith when you believe this isn't a work of yours, but a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. Right? Verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece, created for good works in Christ. We were created in Christ to do the work that we were planned, that were planned for us, that we were created for from before the world began. God had plans for us. Sin interrupted those plans. He reconciled us, redeemed us from the curse of sin. And it is in Christ that we return to the works for which God prepared us in the first place. God's plan, Scripture makes clear, is for us to be recreated, born again, and that we would live new lives, and that we would live those new lives such as it means in Christ. Ephesians 3, Paul continues, God graciously gave me the privilege of announcing this, of telling it to the Gentiles, to the whole world, about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. In Christ, there are endless treasures. The first three, maybe the big three, first in Christ, we can know God. In Christ is how we know God in John 14, same last week, time stamp, just before the cross. 
Philip said, Lord, just show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus said, I've been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know me. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Foremost among the reasons for Jesus coming to the world, even before saving our souls by dying on the cross, was to reveal the Father, to show us what he's like. Colossians 1, he, Christ, is the image of the invisible God. And in him, in Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus revealed God. He is the visage, the visible image of the invisible God, so much so that one of the ancient theologians uh, in the third and fourth century, known by many as the Desert Fathers, is quoted as having said, if God is not like Jesus, I don't want to know God. Such a compelling and good and clear picture of God did Jesus portray. So the treasures in Christ, first we can know God. In Christ, we're redeemed from our sinfulness, from our sinful way of living, the curse under which we were born and which capped and governed our existence. In Christ, we have redemption, 2 Corinthians 5. As I mentioned earlier, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. That is, verse 19, let me make this clear and plain. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting trespasses against us. We're reconciled to God and we're redeemed from the fruitless way of life handed down to us. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, God gives us victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ our Lord. And man, thank God for that victory. But did you know the victory isn't just over sin, the fruit of which is largely eternal life with God. That's great and all, but sometimes stopping there with the endless treasures in Christ leads to this funky fruit theology that suggests that this life is to be born, to be gotten through, slogged out, so that we can get on to the good stuff for which we were redeemed. Yes, we were redeemed for eternity with God. Yes, on the timeline of our existence, this life is like a grain of sand, but this life matters. This world matters. God came in the form of Christ, his son, to reveal and to restore all things. And so not only in Christ. Do we have victory over sin and death? In Christ, we experience victory in every area in this life. Romans 8 says, overwhelming victory is ours in Christ. Overwhelming victory. Victory over anxiety, Philippians 4, 7. God's peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live Come on, I'm preaching better than you're responding. God's peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ. Victory over division, Galatians 3.28. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. Victory over lack and want. Philippians 4.19, God will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, the word of God says all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ. 
all of God's promises. I want to live there because, listen, I've lived a lot of my life reading promises that I haven't experienced or haven't experienced fully. How do you bridge that gap? In Christ. It is like a parallel dimension, a reality within a reality that functions by its own set of rules, like the embassy for a Middle Eastern nation sitting in the middle of New York City. That is foreign soil. In Christ, there is within this world like a geodesic dome with its own climate that's not only different but completely opposite from the climate just outside the door. In Christ, all of God's promises are yes and amen. So that's where I want to live. And that's what awakening is all about, recalibrating, coming back into Christ. I wish it were one of those things that were transactional. Man, how we modern Westerners like it to be transactional. I do. I want to pay my money, do my sacrifice, and, and get my stamp and have it good. I, I got baptized. I joined a church. I, I went to a youth retreat and broke all my Led Zeppelin CDs. Any other children in the 90s? I, Mike Doolittle, I know you broke some CDs at youth retreats. Anyone else do that? I bought Led Zeppelin 4 like three times as a teenager because I'd go to youth retreat, I'd break the dumb thing, and then I'd be like, oh, but it's like the best rock album ever, so I'd rebuy it, and then I'd break it at the next retreat. And some of you guys are like, what's CDs? And I, all I'm seeing is you're missing out. What do you break in the digital music era? Like you're, you, you cancel your iTunes music subscription? It doesn't have the same power as snapping the CD and throwing it on the fire and watching it bubble and melt. Very visceral. And some of you millennials are like, you children of the 90s were weird. It's true. But we, we Gen Xers, we experienced it raw. We like to watch the plastic melt. But I want it to be a transaction, right? I want to get rid of the world. I want to say yes to Jesus and then have it good. But it's not like that. Paul said, you have to offer yourselves like a, like a living sacrifice. The thing has to go on the altar, but it's alive. So it can get off once it realizes realizes that it's on an altar to be sacrificed. So then you got to put it back on, right? He said, I die daily to myself. And that's the rub. Living in Christ is a pattern, a habit. I love how Mari likened it last week to seeing the chiropractor. Anyone ever go to the chiropractor and you're like, oh, I feel the best I've felt in years. I'm back in alignment. But you wake up in two days and you're sore again because it kind of goes back to the way it was. My chiropractor says your muscles have memory. Well, so does our sin nature, right? So we step into Christ, but it's all too easy to find ourselves out of that geodesic climate bubble again. So what does it mean? How do we do it practically, choosing to live in Christ? What does this look like? In John chapter 6, he's starting to spring onto the scene big time. Crowds are gathering they're following him around. And some people, outer circle disciples, are gathering around his apostles, his inner circle disciples, and saying, hey, we want to do the Jesus thing too. And they meant it. They're like, show us what we need to do to do the work of God like you are. Here's what Jesus said in John 6. The work of God is this. Believe. To believe in the one he has sent. That's what God requires. Being in Christ means many things, but friends, it starts and ends with authentic belief. 
In Matthew 9, two blind men followed Jesus down the road saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. They went so bold as they were right into the house where he was staying. And finally, Jesus turned and asked them, do you believe? Do you believe that I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told them, we do. And he touched their eyes and said, because of your faith, it will happen. Not because of my touch, because you believe. There was a rich man with a sick daughter And he sent for Jesus, and Jesus came. But by the time he got there, the girl was dead. And so he said, don't bother the teacher anymore. But Jesus said to him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. There was a man with a son with a demon who kept chucking him into the fire, and the dad was at wit's end like any of us would be. He encountered Jesus, and he's like, oh, man, I've tried everything. If you can do something, would you help us? And Jesus is like, if I can? Don't you know, all things are possible for him who believes. This is at once invigorating and frustrating, if I'm honest. I think this is the case for us achievement-oriented Westerners. I think there's something in us that wants badly for it to be something we do, something we can earn or discover or achieve. Simply believing, it's almost insultingly low, uncomplicated, and unsophisticated. I kind of think of it sometimes like I'm playing a video game and I want to have to discover the secret hidden door that's not in the manuals and then level up and now I can do the things of God or like, you know, you're finding the little coins, ka-ting, ka-ching, and you find like the, the cross token and, and you get that thing and you, and you power up and now you can do the work of God. I kind of want it to be something like that. But Jesus said, it's just this, believe. Ah, but it's actually believe. You know, the famous and simple illustration is Billy Graham, who in the 50s was preaching to more people than anybody in the history of the world. And he said, hey, it's like this. You're sitting in a crowded movie house and someone comes running in, interrupts the picture and says, the building's on fire. And you're like, okay, okay, I believe you. And you go back to watching the film. Your words mean nothing because belief implies in a rational being accompanying action. Simply believe, authentically believe. First John 5 says, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. I think we don't like that. Let's be honest. I think we don't want everyone who's born of God to overcome the world. I think we want, especially we who have been going to church since our Sunday school days in the early 80s where we had to memorize verses and get gold stars and wear ties and sit in pews made of wood that were not comfortable and sing songs written in like the 1700s, played on instruments that were made like before our Declaration of Independence was signed. And it was all arcane and unfun altogether for a 10-year-old kid. That was very uh, therapeutic. Thank you for listening. (laughs) But those of us who have been doing religion for a while, we don't want everyone, just any old person, to be able to overcome the world. You get born of God, you said, oh man, I was out partying and selling myself to to the night 
just yesterday, but now I repent and I overcome the world too? No. You need to do some religious stuff first. But that's not what Jesus taught. Everyone, the newest, fresh out of the world, most inner broken believer in Christ overcomes the world. Why? Because this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Ironic, isn't it? It may very well be more often than not that it's the brand new believer who most comprehensively believes that that is true because he's tried everything else. She's gone every direction and found them fruitless. And only Jesus spoke to the depths of her soul. See, we all form beliefs other than this belief. That's the trick, right? We all believe a variety of things that lurk just beneath the surface of our consciousness. These ungodly beliefs, they don't come about for no reason. We don't just wake up one day and go, you know what? I think that believing that I need to strive and work myself to the bones so that somebody will tell me my soul's worth something, nobody chooses that. It's like firmware. We go through decades of phones without even knowing it's there, but it's what's secretly behind the scenes driving the train. It's what makes the software work, right? Our firmware, our beliefs, they're formed by living and by hard living in a fallen world for many of us. And I say this with the most compassion because that's how your heavenly father looks at you. Our beliefs drive our living, don't they? They shape our priorities. They form our responses. Many say, I, I believe in Jesus, but they live by a very different set of governing values, a very different set of driving principles. I was taken by the tender and poignant op-ed in Christianity Today last week, observing the one-year anniversary of the Capitol riot. Sensitive to this, I don't care for finger-wagging and bashing the church, but the author was very reflective and contemplative, was, was humble and numbered himself with the transgressors, but said, how did we get here? We who claim to follow Christ, where we hold up signs that say Jesus saves while choking a police officer and smashing a window with a fire extinguisher. What do we really believe? What's driving our train? Here's the thing. You are in Christ, in the world. It's like ski Dubai. You're in winter, in the middle of the hottest summer you've ever known. You just open the door long enough, no matter how powerful that HVAC system and the outside climate is gonna come in and overtake the inside climate. There's just too much heat out there. I think Jesus chose his words carefully. And I think the Holy Spirit inspired the apostles writing the New Testament and building the church of the new covenant 
And I think he chose his words carefully too. In Christ, the preposition in, it connotes spatial singularity. Spatial singularity. What that means is to be in one place is by definition to be out of the other places. To be in Christ is to be out of the world around you with its governing values and driving principles. There's only one set of firmware that can run your device. There's only one engineer that can drive your train. Who's driving your train? We are to be in Christ in the world. such that the world, as Jesus put it so simply, sees the way we live, so countercultural, so antithetical to everything it holds true and gives glory to our Father in heaven. We can't live by both realities, can we? That's what awakening's for. Choose your reality. Choose your in. We get to choose it anew. I wish it were that we choose it once and it's set for good. But it's a choice we make every day and every hour to live in Christ and to live in Christ anew. Because the world is pulling us every which way. It's like when you step out of the gondola at the top of the mountain on a cold day and the wind's blowing you so hard that you gotta use force to stand up. choice we make. So awakening is a time to focus on that choice. It's 21 days to retrain our souls so that that choice becomes more and more natural, more and more automatic. Jesus said, do not fear, only believe. The fact that he said only suggests that he was aware that my temptation is to believe and something, right? What did the dad respond with? Do you remember? He said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. He's kind of saying what we say if we're honest with ourselves. I do believe, except when I don't. I believe this far up until this point. And then when we get to there, the deep files take over. And I stop believing this and I start believing that. What are are your beliefs? What are your beliefs? For some of us, they're fear-based and not for bad reason, right? The ones who were supposed to protect us harmed us or exposed us instead. And we learned we're not safe. And that governing belief of fear leads to a way of control, right? We grow up and sort of say, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I had to live my childhood in fear because I didn't have any choice over the whose roof I was under, but not now. Now I'm gonna be in control. Nothing's gonna harm me makes sense, right? For some of us, our belief is loss 
Nothing's permanent. Everyone goes away. We lost the ones who are supposed to be constant and reassuring. And so that coalesces into a value of preservation. I'm going to hold on to it. White knuckle grip. Pry my kung fu fingers off of this stuff because it was all loss. For some of us, our belief is shame. Oh God, we were told so many times we're worthless. That we started believing it. And so an operating system of vanity comes natural as the morning follows the night. I'm going to make myself look the part till people will tell me I'm valuable and good. Maybe your belief is inadequacy. No matter how many goals you scored, how many A's you got, it was never enough. You got to strive, you got to achieve, you got to study more, you got to work harder. And so what kind of operating system does that produce? Ambition, unbridled ambition that says, if I earn enough, if I gain enough power over enough people, if I become a big enough deal in the eyes of others, I'll feel valuable at the end of the day. Maybe your belief is hopelessness. Maybe a dark cloud hung over your home and your family and you never saw the sun peek through and you never saw the horizon and life taught you early and hard that that's all there is. And so what kind of operating system does that grow? Simple, have fun, seek pleasure, gather ye rosebuds while ye may for tomorrow they'll be dying. That's what Shakespeare said. Live for the weekend, right? Nothing else worth living for. What are your beliefs? What got installed early and deep? And you believe Jesus up until that point. And then the deep files take over and say, I got this from here. See, Jesus said, do not fear. Do not be ashamed. Do not strive. Only believe. That's a choice we make. That's the choice, isn't it? That's what awakening is for. Jesus said, all things are possible for the one who believes. In Christ, all of God's promises are yes and amen. Nothing will be impossible. Would you stand with me? Two questions. And we're going to respond for a moment in faith. One is, what ungodly belief do you need to lay down? The band's going to play softly. I invite you while we're here in God's presence, don't let this moment go. Would you come vulnerably before the throne of grace and ask God, would you show me? What's driving my train? What beliefs are in there 
that are keeping me from living in Christ. Maybe you know, maybe you don't need a moment or the band or the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's just a matter of choosing one more time. I lay it down. I choose not to fear, only to believe. second question is this, what would you believe for this year? If nothing were impossible, if everything were on the table, listen, if the deal were still on, what would you believe for? If belief meant heaven opening, the kingdom of God coming, the promises of God, yes and amen, maybe not instant, maybe not in this moment or this year, but if you knew that the God of heaven responded and your victory was just believing. What would you believe for this year? This awakening season, we've been inviting you into a variety of prayer practices to freshen prayer up. Sometimes it seems daunting or boring or dull or painful, but prayer is meeting with the living God who is anything but that. And there are a variety of practices. This morning, I want to invite you to a practice of prayer that you could call wailing wall prayer. Anyone ever been to Israel, visited the temple, or seen it like on a documentary? I was there once. Unbelievable. There's this wall in the temple, and it activates faith. People come night and day, year after year. They roll up the things they're believing for. They stick them in the wall. Some people turn it into hocus pocus and make it seem like the wall has particular power. There's nothing powerful about the wall. What's powerful is getting out of your seat and going there and sticking it in the wall and activating faith. And so this morning, I want to start with quiet music, reflection. Maybe it's a few minutes, maybe it's a few seconds. What are my beliefs? What are blocking the way from living in Christ? And Lord, I'm going to lay those down. You just do that in your heart. And then secondly, right back there on the wall, you see the word believe, and you see where the first service filled it up. So we can, they already broke the ice, you know, that ice breaking moment where you awkwardly wait for who's going to be the first one to do it. They already did it. So you don't have to do that. In fact, anyone want to volunteer to be the icebreaker? Who's the icebreaker in the room? Okay, you got it. I can't see who it is. Is that Terry? All right, Terry, in a minute, you go back there. Then everyone can be like, ah, oh, exhale. Terry did it. Thank you. You're a good leader. Then just go take one of the markers and write on the wailing wall what you're believing for. And let this be our prayer. I do believe, Jesus. Help my unbelief. Amen? Father, we come to Jesus anew this year. We want you to teach us what it means to live in Christ. Amen? Thanks for listening in to today's message. For more information on how you can participate in Awakening, go to our website, denverunited.com, where you can learn more about prayer and fasting can get details of our upcoming worship nights and dive deeper into this wonderful time growing closer to Christ and his church.
We hope you've been encouraged this week. For more information or to submit a prayer request, go to denverunited.com.